0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. There is something beautiful about that witnessing that you describe um, uh, of witnessing another person and how it's supportive of that person's process. It's like being seen, right? It's, it's allowing that person to be seen in their process. And I can see that it would be very helpful in a courtroom or something with um, um, somebody going through something very charged to have somebody there just as a witness. Um, and it, it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to offer that gift of being present for someone else. And... We can do that for ourselves i mean it's it's um i had i had an, an experience um with a friend one time where I, I happened to be uh with with my friend when he was going through something particularly charged and um uh, i i just Decided, I was just going to try to be there for him. I didn't try to say anything, or fix anything, or make suggestions, or anything like that. And um, it was it was quite powerful. Um, and something about it, he told me later. Something about just that. He actually came up to me and said, "What were you doing?" What were you doing? And I said, I was just trying to be as present as I could. I was just trying to be there for you. And something about it really allowed him to go through his process. So that that kind of just being seen, you know, being seen can really be very healing in providing that for another person. And we can provide that same healing being seen for ourselves. I mean... We cannot count on others to do that for us. But it is possible to, to do it for ourselves. And it's quite a beautiful thing to, uh, to be able to offer that gift to ourselves and to the world because when we offer it to ourselves, it very naturally becomes offered to the world. Yeah. So thank you for that. Did it impact your day? Words about nothing special yeah um yeah you said it's nothing special mindfulness, and that's a title of a book by Charlotte Joko Beck, one of my early teachers that book and um i it took me a while to really understand that um, you know mindfulness is actually a pretty natural, ordinary, the capacity of our mind to be mindful is a pretty natural, ordinary capacity. I think in one way, one of the things that makes us human, um, that basically ability to, to, that self-reflective awareness, Um, something about that ability to know that we know is is I guess not quite uniquely human, because they do they do see that some other animals have this capacity, but I think it 's a, it's a, it's a crucial capacity for us in terms of um, uh, just being human, and so it 's a very natural part of being human, and it 's such such an ordinary part of being human that mostly we don 't know what 's happening. <laughs> You know, mostly we don't know what's happening. And, and I think it took someone like the Buddha to really kind of say, hey, hey, this is important. You know, this capacity for us to witness, this capacity for us to know what's happening in the present moment can be directed towards a, um, a liberating purpose. As I said, the first day, too, I think, you know, that capacity to know what's happening in the present moment can also be directed to robbing banks and things like that. Um, but the, the, the Buddha really noticed that this is, this is an important capacity of mind. And to cultivate it with this special... Um, the, the, fra- the phrase that I like using is establish mindfulness from a certain perspective... We establish it from this perspective of interest in what's happening in the present moment as a phenomenon that's happening in the present moment. And um, that that kind of nothing special leads to one of the things that came up this morning, which is, uh, I talked at, w- at one point about how as the, uh, the more continuous that mindfulness gets, I think this was this morning, it might have been yesterday afternoon, the more continuous mindfulness gets... It, sometimes things can seem like they're really sparkly, and it feels really special sometimes. And yet, the more continuous it gets, the more familiar we get with mindfulness, it is completely ordinary. It is simply witnessing what's happening in the present moment. And yet, that capacity is extraordinary. And so, it's nothing special, and it's amazing the capacity and the power for what it can uh, do for us. So, yeah, thank you. So the question about when it's appropriate to basically be an observer and a witness and to watch what's unfolding and when it's appropriate to take action. Um, I don't think there's a single answer to this question. I'll talk around the terrain, and maybe uh, it'll give a flavor of... I think partly we need to learn to make that discernment for ourselves given the conditions, given what's happening, given what the intentions are. And so a lot of it is trial and error and then learning from having taken the action or not taking the action, learning what happens. Because both taking action and not taking action have consequences. Um... One of the first things I want to say is that um, and I think that that this has been conveyed during the week but just to make the picture complete that um, mindfulness and witnessing does not mean non-action that actually what starts to happen as we become more and more aware of what's happening for us, what does fall away, what does seem to fall away more and more, is action out of greed, aversion, or delusion. That we really begin to get it that taking action from that kind of a mind state or that kind of a stance doesn't lead to the well-being of ourselves or others and lends to struggle, suffering, affliction for ourselves and the world. And so that kind of action does start to fall away. And um, we're so habituated to acting from our reactivity that it's hard to fathom that there might be a way to act that's not out of reactivity. What would that look like? You know, it's... uh, It's action from wisdom, from compassion, from kindness that doesn't have a contraction to it, that doesn't have a sense of needing a result to it. And so, what... What seems to happen as we—I'll um, use the word purify because it is—it is a feeling of of purification, of of letting go of those tendencies that create struggle and suffering. There, it, it, it doesn't end up. What it doesn't end up that we just end up just like, oh, things as they are. Nothing to do. There's a very natural movement to want to engage in the world, in particular to alleviate suffering. And so that's the first piece I wanted to say, that we sometimes... I don't know if that was part of your question, but it I brought that up in my mind to just clarify that, because sometimes we do, when we talk about being witness and 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 when we explore non-reactivity, so much of our motivations are tied up in reactivity that um, it feels like a lot of our reasons to act, we start to see, gosh, this isn't such a good idea. So, um, so a lo- we, we do, you know, explore as much as possible letting go of acting from greed, aversion, and delusion. And yet... In this exploration, you know, we are going to have mixed motivations. We are going to um, want to be generous and want something back. We are going to um, want to fix something and know that it will be a compassionate action to fix that, but still really want that result. And this is, this is going to be the way it is for most of our lives, probably for the rest of our lives. Um, my understanding is that with, well, with the Buddha, you know, the Buddha's, you know, that kind of place where the Buddha um, ended up, none of his actions were motivated by greed, aversion or delusion. That's what is said to, to go with full awakening. And yet he didn't just sit around. I mean, he was very active. You know, he was wandering around India and talking to people and answering questions. And he even went and stood in the middle of a, of a battlefield to try to stop a water war. So he was very active. And those actions were motivated from compassion and kindness and wisdom. So... Um, we are going to, until, you know, until we are fully awakened, there will be mixed motivations. And it's, it's also a mistake to kind of think, oh, well, okay, so I'm, there's, there's this motivation and I, I want to be generous here, but I also see that I really want something back or I, I at least want to be thanked, you know, I want to be appreci- I want to be seen that I did this good thing. You know, I at least want that, you know, like yeah, I'm going to give you, give something, be generous, but I'd like to be thanked, you know. Is that such a, is that so wrong to want to be thanked? You know, if we see the the unwholesome motivation of wanting along with the uh, motivation of generosity, it would be a mistake to say, "Oh, I shouldn't do that generous thing because that unwholesome motivation is there." What I often suggest there is when we are going to act and we see that there are mixed motivations fully acknowledge the mixed motivations and see if there can be when you take that action connect to as much of the wholesome wish as you can the wholesome motivation as you can in taking that action. Um... I don't know if, you know, there's also a whole host of things that we may want to be deciding on or taking action on that may be simply deciding between two wholesome alternatives. I I had that uh, happening at one point. It's like I could see my life going in two different directions and how do I choose, you know? How do I make a decision? Um, And um, Gil actually gave me the help on that one. <laughs> <This> one. <laughs> he said, "Do you know what you want?" And I was like, "Wow, you mean I can consider what I want <laughs> in the mix here?" <laughs> so, um, you know, sometimes th- we do need to make decisions, and it's kind of like, oh, gosh, I don't know. They e- they seem equally good alternatives, and I'm not sure which direction to go? At, at some level, in some ways, you know, it may not matter which one you pick, but when you pick it, um, you know, just watch, watch the unfolding. You know, you, you make a choice and you, you allow, you know, to allow yourself to be with the process that results from that choice. Um, does any of this speak to? Your question, this might be something to, to add. Um, so in the exploration of, of intentions, and in particular exploring intentions around how we are in uh, relating to other people, um, if we uh, know that we're going to have a challenging interaction with somebody, um going into that situation, if you can connect to, okay, how, how do I want to, um, to be with them? And then, you know, the other piece is to begin to recognize what are the intentions we are typically running around in our day with. And you know, sort of take it in intention inventory. <laughs> like I said, happened with me going driving the car down the road. It's like, well, impatience was my intention. You know, and when it's like, wait a minute, you know, really, what my intention... I'd like to connect this action of driving the car to peace. It was like the intention of impatience just vanished. So being honest with ourselves around our intention, like... You know with, with with relatives, for instance, it's like, "How can I get this over as soon as possible with the least amount of pain? You know, that may be the intention. I, I mean, with the least amount of pain, that sounds like a good part, you know, and can it, but can it be a little bit uh, more connected to compassion and um, so, yeah, I mean, it can be a very beautiful, heart-opening practice to explore that realm of intention yeah do this record this Um, so you mentioned seeing seeing the image of getting ready to tug on your dog's leash and that you seeing that you didn't follow through that's really starting to see i mean that's the 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 fruit of your using that as a kind of an exploration this week around how much do I tug on the dog's leash and being aware of that and being aware of the whole piece of it, it begins to show you that essentially with that kind of exploration, you can start to know you're going to do something before you do it. And that's what that image was. It's kind of a little, hey, this is what's about to happen kind of thing. And so that's, that's um, another definition of the word intention. You know, the, the momentary intention. It's the, the little moment right before something happens. It's like our body will model it, you know, our body and mind will model that, and then um, we, if we are aware, we can see that modeling happening and decide whether or not that's a good idea. And so that's what you saw there, I think, that, that kind of little bit of intention and decided not to act on it. Um, So, a question about how to deal with the thoughts of of guilt and um you know uh, a situation where a parent has um come over to this country and um, she was very healthy at home in India, but now here she's sick and feeling a little bit of guilt of having taken her away from her home, I guess to some extent and uh how to work with those thoughts um well i mean there's the first the first piece to um to explore is i mean these are the conditions now i mean guilt is about like almost like wishing the past could be different or something or, you know, I don't know. Um, So these are the conditions now. And um, it's funny, you know, guilt and self-judgment seems to be an emotion that we feel like, I don't know, we think it serves us in some way. I mean, we wouldn't do it if we didn't think it served us in some way. Um, And my best take on what I think it does for us, you know, it's like somehow we think that if we are hard on ourselves, that it somehow justifies or makes somehow it makes it like, well, if I'm being hard on myself, then others will know that, I don't know. <laughs> with self-judgment, it's a little easier to put together. Like with self-judgment, what I've seen is that I do it like with the idea of if I'm hard enough on myself, I won't do that thing again. You know, it's kind of almost like beating myself up so that it's like self punishment so that I won't do it in the future. And this kind of, um, so it's kind of par- partly what I'm talking about here is reflecting on the drawbacks and, and to some extent the uselessness of these kinds of thoughts. Your mom is here. She chose to come here. I mean, she's not your puppet. She did make some choices and she chose to come. Um, And it may well be more stressful for her here without her family, without her familiar foods. It may well be more stressful for her here. And um, rather than um, guilt, you know, it's like, essentially it's kind of like, let your heart open to the struggle that your mom is going through and it's like find the way you might find a way to if you if you can let go of the the guilty thoughts and because the guilty thoughts are contracting your heart they're actually not letting you be with your mom as fully as you could and um so, you know, if you can if you can uh, explore well first of I mean first of all acknowledge the guilt. Partly what I'm trying to, to give you is some um understanding about why the guilt is not necessary. So you know, the the um the wisdom understanding of why it's not it's it's not helpful and it's not necessary. Um and yet, we do, have, we do have these thoughts. So, you know, part of it is to open to and acknowledge, okay, yes, these thoughts are arising. And um, how much do you believe them? The thoughts, the thoughts probably have a, a, a kind of a habitual... Pattern to them? Do you have you? I mean, you don't have to answer this, just nod your head <laughs> or shake your head. Is, this, is, is a pattern of feeling guilty something that is familiar to you in your life? Okay. So, um, so that may not be the case so much then. But often there is a kind of a, um, you know, a habit that we have or a, a, a familiarity that we have that we're reliving something. Um, but in any case, noticing those thoughts, it's like, yeah, the, I mean, the, the thoughts of shouldn't have brought her here or, um, I was wrong for wanting her to be here. I was being selfish. I mean, I can, I can hear the kinds of threads that are there. Um, so it's done. It's, she's here. I, I mean, it's possible, I suppose she could decide to go back, but, um, um, so, that decision having been made, when you see those thoughts, you know, open to and recognize yes, those thoughts are happening. The, the practice is not about trying to squash those thoughts, it's also not about indulging those thoughts. So, that's an interesting dynamic of neither repressing nor indulging. It's this middle way of Guilty thoughts are arising right now. Feeling guilty is arising right now. And there's a kind of the, the feeling perhaps, I, the, the emotions for me connected with guilt can be shame, um, can be um, you know, wishing some other, it's not so much an emotion, but just wishing some other thing were happening. Um, so the, um, the, the middle course is to not repress those feelings or the thoughts, but also to not like, feed them, fuel them. Guilty thoughts are happening right now. Feelings of shame are happening right now. That, that process of awareness, of witnessing, coming back to that witnessing stance, um, somehow allows that to live its life and not get, not get hooked into it. Sometimes we can do that. Sometimes we can't. I'm not sure for you where that is right now. But this too...